Praise God. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, so we're going to get into the Word this morning. Um, and, um, you know, I, I believe I've titled the message this morning, uh, Rebuilding, Rebuilding the Walls of Community. Rebuilding the Walls of Community. And, um, you know, I believe that, you know, somebody once taught me that, you know, when it comes to God's purpose, the Lord doesn't really operate in straight lines. You know, it is said that the, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, right? Um, actually, before I say that, somebody else, else asked me why we decided to use a different venue today. Yeah, so maybe I should, I'm trying to deal with the questions. Um, the reason I decided on a new venue was I felt that we should have a, a smaller, sort of more intimate setting that allows for greater interaction. There's a hint in there. That allows for greater interaction, you know, because I, I want, um, in our services, I want us to have greater interaction with one another, yeah, which means that I will ask you questions and you will contribute, yeah. Um, and I also wanted to, you know, there's something about, you know, just changing things around a little bit, you know. Uh, it just, you know, there's something about that, that that sort of moves us out of our comfort zone, you know. Um, just let you know that it's a new day, all right. Um, we still have a relationship with Connex, <coughs> and we may very well go back to Connex um, at a later date. But I just thought we should, you know, try something different. And so far, so good, isn't it? I sort of like it, right? What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah. I can see the lucky people are, are, are shaking their heads. Like <laughs> the lucky guys are like, "Yeah, we really like this." You know, <laughs> you know. Um, I mean, it costs us two hundred and fifty thousand for this room. Um, it's the same as what we pay in Connex. Um, you know, so it's the same amount, but it's it's smaller. Um, but you know, it's in Lecky. Uh, there's another room, um, a smaller room that would have cost us a hundred thousand. Uh, that would have used for the kids and. Um, but looking at the registrations, we decided not to do that. Um, but in future, we may very well, you know, hire that. You know, just for you to understand what, you know, what we're doing. Um, but, um, yeah, so that's, that's, why, that's why we are here. I was saying earlier that, you know, it is said that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Okay? And we all like straight lines. You know, because we want to get where we're going quickly. Yeah. Uh, but the Lord doesn't, he doesn't seem to like straight lines. Yeah. In fact, when he was leading uh, the children of Israel out of Egypt, he didn't go through the straightest path. You know, he thought, he said, okay, I better not take them, you know, through this route because they will face war and they're not ready for it. I'll take them through this route. So sometimes the Lord leads us. Someone once said it's like a scavenger hunt. You know, it's like he leads you, you know, through different routes to pick up different things. Uh, he knows where he's taking you, uh, but there are, there are so many different things we need to pick up along the way. Okay, uh, The Lord has great plans for this community uh, called High Life. Uh, his plans are very specific, but he takes us through different routes um, because there are certain things we need to pick up along the way uh, to fortify us for his assignment on this house. Um. So today I have titled the message, Rebuilding the Walls of Community. Rebuilding the Walls of Community. Let's start in the book of Ezra. Let's start in the book of Ezra chapter 4. Rebuilding the Walls. Of community. I'm going to be looking at the New Living Translation. Yeah, I'm going to be jumping around between Ezra and Nehemiah. You know, Ezra and Nehemiah historically used to be just one book uh, in the Bible. It was called the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And it captures um, the different um, migrations or the different movements of um, the children of Israel that had been in captivity under Nebuchadnezzar. And now under Cyrus, they were being allowed to go back uh, to their homeland to rebuild their walls and to rebuild the temple, okay? 
So Ezra and Nehemiah, it was around the same period, and it was really about the children of Israel going back from a time of captivity uh, to going back to rebuilding their city, to rebuilding Jerusalem, to rebuilding the temple. And in, in, in Ezra chapter 4 verse 1, it says the enemies, everyone say enemies. <clears throat> it says the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were rebuilding a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel. Okay, they heard that a temple was being rebuilt. So this is what the enemies did. This was their response to that. If we go down to um, verse 11, they wrote a, a letter to the king. Um, you know, of course, Israel was still uh, not so much an occupied territory, but it was part of the territory of, um, of the king of, you know, um, of, of Babylon. So he says he wrote a letter and he said to the king Artaxerxes, from your loyal subjects in the province west of the Euphrates River, the king should know that the Jews who came here to Jerusalem from Babylon are rebuilding this rebellious and evil city. They have already laid the foundation and will soon finish its walls. And the king should know that if this city is rebuilt and if its walls are completed, it will be much to your disadvantage. For the Jews will then refuse to pay their tribute customs and tolls to you. Since we are your loyal subjects and do not want to see the king dishonored in this way, we have sent the king this information. We suggest that a search be made in your ancestors' records where you will discover what a rebellious city this has been in the past. In fact, it was destroyed because of the long and troublesome history of revolt against the kings and countries who controlled it. We declare to the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are completed, the province west of the Euphrates River will be lost to you. If this city is rebuilt, if this city is rebuilt, if these walls are completed, your ability to control them, it says this whole region will be lost to you. So it is the enemy, the enemy's uh, desire is that the city is not rebuilt and the walls are not completed. Yeah? The enemy's desire is that the city is not rebuilt and the walls are not completed. And you know, when they wrote that letter um, to the king, you know, the king checked the archives and he said, ah, actually, these people are rebellious people. Let them stop building. You know, and um, if you look at verse 24, or verse 23, it says, when um, he, the, the king basically responded, look at verse 24, it says, so the work on the temple of God in Jerusalem had stopped, and it remained at a standstill until the second uh, year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. Yeah? So he was able to stop the work. Uh, he was able to stop the rebuilding of the temple and the reconstruction of the walls. But thank God, um, in chapter 5, verse 1, let's look at chapter 5, verse 1. It says, at this time, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews in Jerusalem and Judah. They prophesied in the name of God of Israel, who was over them. Uh, Zerubbabel, son of uh, Shaltiel, and Jeshua, son of Zehozadak, responded by starting again the rebuilding, uh, uh, to rebuild the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God who were with them um, and helped them. Tatenai, governor of the province west of the Euphrates, and uh, Shetha Bozenai, and their colleagues soon arrived in Jerusalem and asked, Why, who gave you permission to rebuild this temple and restore its structure? They also asked for the names of the men working on the temple. Uh, but because their God was watching over them, the leaders of the Jews were not prevented from building until the report was sent to Darius and he returned his decision. So, so this thing about the rebuilding of the walls was a major issue. The enemies were trying to prevent it happening. 
the children of God began to do it. They wanted permission from Darius. But after a while, the prophets arose and began to prophesy and encourage them to rebuild with or without permission, you know. And they started building. They sent a letter to Darius. Darius says, yes, let them build. And the, the city was rebuilt and the walls uh, and the temple was reconstructed. Look at um, Nehemiah chapter 2. Let's read Nehemiah 2 and Nehemiah 4. But what I want you to retain in your minds is that the enemy's desire is that the walls are not rebuilt. The walls are not rebuilt. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 2, let's look at verse 17. <clears throat> of course, we know. Uh, the story of Nehemiah, you know, he was the king's cupbearer and he was, you know, he was, um, he was very upset at the news he'd received um, from, um, from, uh, from, from Jerusalem. Um, in fact, if you look at Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 3, um, this was the news he had received. Uh, it says, they said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. And the wall of Jerusalem has been turned down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. And it was on the basis of this information that Nehemiah was very troubled and appealed to the king. And the king um, gave him permission to go and rebuild the walls. And when he got to Jerusalem, he inspected what was going on. And in verse 17 of Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah makes this statement. He says, but now I said to them, you know very well, what trouble we are in. Everyone say, what trouble we are in. Uh, did you see how, um, how important this thing about the walls being rebuilt is? This is not a casual thing. It says, you see what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And end this disgrace. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Look at chapter 4. We begin to see again the response of the enemies of Jerusalem to their attempt to rebuild the walls. Verse 1 says, Sambalat was very angry. He was very angry when he learned that they were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think that they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing Beside him remarked, that stone wall um, would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we have been mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads. And may they themselves become captives in the foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins. For they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. At last, the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city. For the people had worked with enthusiasm. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall, everyone say the gaps in the wall. When they heard that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. So we see a huge fight against rebuilding walls and rebuilding gates. Yeah. We see that this prophecy was to encourage people to rebuild. The enemies were trying to make sure there were gaps in the gates and the gaps in the, in the walls. So the question is, what is a gate? 
And what is a wall? What does a wall represent? And what does a gate represent? Okay. Uh-huh. Sorry. Uh, mic. Second mic. Okay, good. What is a gate and what is a wall? It's okay. Don't feel under pressure. I can feel tension in this room. Suddenly. <laughs> uh, yeah. She, she, she had something. What, you know, I, I like to work with a, with a whiteboard. I'll make sure next time we're here we have a whiteboard. What is a wall and what is a gate? Okay, yes. Well, for me, um, a wall represents um, a defense, sort of a protected, uh, protected terrain. Okay. It closes off on unwarranted guests, so to say. Okay. Yeah, Excellent. and then for me, uh, a gate gives permission to enter. Hmm. And it's also, um, it's also a, um, a, a limitation mm -hmm. and an opportunity. Yes. Okay. Okay. So you determine um, its access. Yes, it's okay. an access point. You determine who comes in and who goes out. Thank you. It's a visa yes. entry point, so mm -hmm. to say. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So a wall. A wall is a defense. A wall is a defense. Um, yes. And a gate is an access point. Yeah, so I'll say um, a wall um, can be used to mark a ter territory. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah? let's, 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 let's just pause on that a little bit. So a wall defines a territory. A wall defines a territory. Okay? It defines a territory. Okay, good. Yeah, then um, the gates can be said to be a, an entry point mm -hmm. and um, just to control access. Okay, yeah. an entry point to control access. Um, a wall is a defense. Yeah, it's a defense. Um, it marks a territory. Okay, defines the territory. Okay, um, a gate is an access point. Yeah. You know, you can prevent people from coming in. Yeah, an access point. Yes, then I want to say something. Um, there can be no gates without a wall. Say again? There can be no gates without a wall. There cannot be no gates. Without a wall. Without a wall. Okay, let's just pause at that a little bit. There can be no gates without a wall. Okay? Yes, that's absolutely true. Um, yeah, you define your territory and then you, you know, you set up access points. Yes, again, that's it? That's it. Okay, fantastic. Great. Okay. Okay, I wanted to say that a gate is like a covering. Mm -hmm. Then the, no, 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 sorry. The wall is a covering. The gate is an access, is an opening. Okay. The gates and the wall, they actually work together. Mm -hmm. Okay. The, the wall is also a covering, is a protection. A covering, a covering, okay? The wall is a covering, yeah. a covering, a protection. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's very together, good. It's a, it's, it's a covering, a protection. The wall is a defense. The wall marks territory. Um, gate is an access point. Any other contributions? Yes, I equally want to add to okay. the place of the gate. is a place of authority, a place where decisions are made. Okay. As to align or not align something, a place where the elders decide on what happens to a place. Okay. That's my addition to what a wall is. Okay, it is. Okay. All right. So, I mean, just looking at, at, um, at just a physical gate is an access point. Um, and, of course, in Israel, it was at the gates that decisions were made. That's where the elders would sit together and deliberate on affairs um, affairs of the city, yeah. Um, if you look at, let's look at um, Proverbs twenty-five. Thank you for your contributions, by the way. Proverbs twenty-five, verse twenty-eight. Proverbs twenty-five, verse twenty-eight. <clears throat> I'm going to read the New King James and the Passion Translation. It says. Um, Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down and without walls. The Passion Translation says, if you live without restraint and are unable to control your temper, you are as helpless 
as a city with broken down defenses open to attack. You are as helpless as a city with broken down defenses and open to attack. So let us leave the, 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 the issue of restraint to one side and focus on what he, what is, what he, the illustration of a city without walls. It says, a city without walls is helpless. Yeah, that's the point I'm trying to make. A city without walls is helpless. It has broken down defenses, and it's open to attack. So if the walls are not in place, you are, um, you are open to attack, and you don't have a defense. You know, we said a wall is a defense. A wall is a defense. You know, let's look at um, the book of Acts chapter 4. Let's look at Acts chapter 4. <clears throat> let's look at Acts chapter 4. Um, there's something that happened there that's quite interesting. So this was what happened... Um, when, um, you know, Peter and John healed the man at the beautiful gate. Uh, we know the story. And, you know, they were arrested um, by um, the, you know, the, the, the priests. If you look at chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed, <coughs> excuse me, that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the, res preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them. They were not trying to get them healed. They laid hands on them and put them into custody until the next day. For it was already evening. However, many of, of those who heard the word believed. And the number came to uh, be about 5,000. Uh, 5, and basically the next day they, they interrogated them. But if you look at um, verse 23, it says, Being let go, they went to their own companions or to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are, you are God who made the heavens and the earth um, and all that's in them. And then they prayed, you know, they prayed to the Lord. And if you look down at verse 31, it says that when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spake the word of God with boldness. So they went out, they were attacked, but they had somewhere to go to, to go back to. Everyone said they had somewhere to go back to. And the Bible says that the place they went back to was their own company, was their own company, okay? You see, without a, a community, without a company, you are like a broken down wall without defenses and open to attack. You see, they went back to their own company. This company represented um, a territory that was defended. It represented a people that had the same values, a people that provided a defense. You know, if it says that they went back to their own company, it means that there are people that were not in the company. Are you with me? If they went back to their company, it means that there were people that were not in the company. But you see, this company represented a territory. It represented, uh, there were access points in and access points out. It represented a place of defense. Okay? And when they went back to their company and they told them everything that had happened with one voice, they didn't say, oh, that's your problem. <laughs> yeah? With one voice, they, 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 um, you know, they spoke to the Lord. And it's interesting that they clearly had the same values. Because imagine that kind of thing happening today. Okay? Olumde goes out with a team. People get healed. Okay? And, um, you know, and... 
um, it causes a lot of problems because the person that got delivered, let's say it was a demonic um, oppression, um, the people that were getting money out of that whole scenario are very upset at what happened, uh, that this person got delivered and they couldn't control them anymore, and it caused some kind of fracas, and then, you know, you know, the government got involved, and I know it's, it's not a very good story, not very well thought through, um, but basically upset local government. Let's just say he upset local government. Yes, he did, yes. Let's use a different example. You know, he upset local government because he was preaching, he was preaching, yeah? He decided to walk on the roads and preach, and they, they felt he was disturbing the peace, right? So they put him in jail for a few weeks. Um, you know, when he came out, he went back to his own company. And he said, you know what, I was preaching, you know, I was standing on the road and preaching the gospel, and I got arrested for disturbing the peace, okay? Now, guess what would happen if we had that scenario? If someone, if, what, what do you think would happen if he came and reported that to, like, a mixed multitude? Second, Why were you preaching where? On the road, right? Abi? I mean, can't you, can you not preach... <laughs> I mean, why can't you do one-on-one -on -one preaching? All right? Um, you know, you'll have so many different thoughts. But, you know, the, the company that he was a part of had the same values. They didn't even pray that the Lord would deliver them from persecution in the future. They lifted up their hands and said, Lord, behold, their threatenings. And Lord, grant us boldness to speak your word. Right? Uh, so that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, there can be even more deliverance. Okay? And then the Spirit of God himself came to that place. And he shook. You know, it wasn't just to, uh, you know, to demonstrate that he was there, that he shook the building. He came to empower them with boldness. Okay? They had a company. That company represented a city. That had a defense. It had access points. It had. It was a community that had the same values. Understood what God had called them to do. And they were moving forward as one. You know in Psalm 133. You know the Bible says. How good and pleasant it is. For brethren to dwell together in unity. How good and how pleasant it is. For brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard. The beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garment, is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. He says, when brethren dwell together in unity, the Lord commands the blessing there. Hallelujah. You know, I believe that it is God's desire that we build a community. A community that acts as a defense. A community that um, provides a covering. A community. Let me look at other things that were said. A community that, 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 that provides a wall, that defines its territory. A community where we control the access into it. A community that is joined by the same values. I believe that that's what the Lord wants to build. Because it is there that the Lord commands the blessing. That's where the Lord commands the blessing. That's where the life of God will be experienced. Peter, could you bring that thing in? You know, I um, can't remember when I did this exactly, but I was with some people, I think it was one of the leadership calls, um, on Monday nights, Monday nights we get together with the house church leaders and we, you know, have different discussions. And, you know, I asked them to define a community. What is a community? And we had different contributions. 
And what came through that was in a community, there is interconnectedness. You know, people attending a church service is not a community. Let's understand that. Because you come to church and we say, hi, how you doing? God bless you. That is not a community. Okay? You can't say, oh, we're a community of believers. No, that is not a community. If it's a community, there must be interconnectedness, a common purpose, interdependence. Everyone say interdependence. Okay, so interconnectedness, a common purpose, interdependence, fulfillment that depends on others um, fulfilling their roles. Everybody has a part to play. Yeah, everybody has a part to play. Everybody has, you know, in fact, if you look at Ephesians, thanks Peter, if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, you look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16, in the Passion Translation, it says that, uh, speaking about the body of Christ, it says that, for this body has been formed in his image and is closely joined together and constantly connected as one. And every member, everyone say every member. Do you know, your body is a community, isn't it? They are all very, your body parts are very different, Right? But every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. And as these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body, we are built up and made perfect in love. Every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. Yeah? So when we talk about a community, we're talking about the building of a community of people that acts as a defense, that, that provides a covering, a real covering, a community that we can run to, yeah, for covering, for protection, where we give and we receive, where we have a common vision and a common purpose. You know, Nehemiah said, see the trouble we're in. <laughs> he said, see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. So let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. It is a disgrace when we have a city without walls. It's a disgrace when we have a city without walls. You know, I believe that God, um, and I'm not overstating it when I say that God has a mandate um, for high life that is meant to impact the city in a real way. You see, but before we can ever impact a city, before we can take a city, we must build strongholds. Before you can take a city, you must build fortresses. You must build strongholds. Yeah? You can't get anywhere if you don't have a defense to retreat back into. You know, David, um, we'll just look at a few verses of scripture speaking about David. David understood this. And David was a man of war. You know, yesterday I had a meeting with the leadership team and we were, we were profiling the differences between a nursery and an army. A nursery. When I say nursery, you know where we have children. A nursery and an army. You see, if we are building an army, you need to understand that an army is not a nursery. Yeah, and maybe that's for another service where we can talk about the difference between an army and a nursery. But you see, an army thinks about strongholds. Yeah, David was a man of war. He understood that you need, you need a stronghold. And as a people, 
We must have a stronghold. We must have a community that works before we can do anything that will impact the city. This is where we must start. doesn't matter if we're 10 or 15. Yeah. You know, when you read about the, in Judges 6 and 7, Gideon. There was something that the Lord was trying to illustrate there. He wanted to have a people that were one first. He can't, the blessing cannot be com- commanded to a place where there is disunity. Yeah? Doesn't matter how many you are. But there must, there must be one. That's where he commands the blessing. That's where you see grace. That's where you see power. In oneness. Okay? Common purpose. The Lord whittled down that army from 32,000 to 300. The Lord did it. It sounds incredible. I mean, I would have been saying, you know, when, when he said, oh, if you're afraid, go home, and 22,000 left. I would have said, this 22,000, can we not disciple them in not being afraid? Do you just know what I'm saying? You, you know, but, but, but the Lord was... Because he can only work with a people that are one. That is where he commands the blessing. Yeah, we must create a stronghold. Let's look at a few verses. Look at First Samuel chapter 22. You see, because as we, as we move ahead, it is important to understand what we are about as high life. You need to understand what you are a part of. You know? We're intentional about building a community. Yeah. We're intentional about building a community. You need to understand what you're a part of. You need to understand our values. You need to understand what we're doing here. Okay. There are certain things that we'll do that you just want to, we just do it to just shake things up a little bit. (laughs) You understand? Because we're trying to build something. That is, that is strong. In 1 Samuel chapter 22 verse 1, it says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave Adjulam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were 400 men with him. Then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and mother come here with uh, come here with you that I know till I know what the Lord will do for me. So he brought them before the king of Moab and they dwelt with him all the time that David was, they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. David was where? David positioned himself in the stronghold. Look at chapter 23 verse 14. It says, and David stayed in the strongholds, or in strongholds in the wilderness, and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Where was David? He was in the stronghold. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, 2 Samuel chapter 5 or 17, it says, Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and he went down to where? He went down to the stronghold. Look at 1 Chronicles 11. That's the last passage. 1 Chronicles 11 verse 5. It says, But the inhabitants of Jebus, uh, the Jebusites, um, said to David, You shall not come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. Now David said, Whoever attacks the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. And Joab, the son of Zeruah, went up first and became chief. Then David dwelt in the stronghold, and therefore they called it the city of David. And he built the city around it. From the middle to the surrounding area, Joab repaired the rest of the city. So David went on and became great, and the Lord of hosts was with him. The greatness of David is linked to him establishing his stronghold and building the city around the stronghold. Are you getting that? He established a stronghold and began to expand. You know, the Bible says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. 
You know, I heard, um, you know, um, Rick Joyner say that you can't have more than two or three. You know, we, we think that that scripture means that if you have 500, I'm there in the midst of them. Rick was saying that what the Lord revealed to him was that you can't have 500. You need to have two or three first. You need to build agreement first between a small number of people and then expand, expand numbers as you are building agreement. Does that make sense? Yeah? Expand numbers as you are building agreement. And then you can have 50,000. That's what David did. He established the stronghold, built the city around the stronghold, and then they began to expand from there. So what we want to do, or what we are doing here, is we want to build a community. Yeah. You know, as, as a church, we have our list of values. And, you know, a community is something that you opt into. You, you opt into. I mean, you have to, because you know, like we said here earlier, when we were looking at Ephesians 4, 16, you know, that everyone does their share, okay? Um, you know, people can't just be taking your share. You've got, to, you've got to decide that you want to make your share available. But if you're going to be part of a community, that's part of what you're signing up to. Are you with me? There are no passive people in a community. Think about the community of the human body. There's no passivity here. You know, they say that um, we don't know what the purpose of the appendix is. Yeah, when we get to heaven, we'll probably realize that it was <laughs> it was vital for us. Yeah, um, but there's no passivity in community. Yeah, there's no passivity in community. It's something you opt into, and, and you know, as a as a ministry, you know, thank God for the different touch points we have. You know, you know, people join to pray. Uh, there's a next generation group. We're praying for their kids. All these wonderful things. Great. But we're establishing a core group of people that are part of this community. And what that means is that there are things that you can expect from us. And then there are things that we will expect from you. Otherwise, it's not a community. And we want to start with that and start building it. And start expanding it. Because we're going to take this city. But we're going to begin with establishing strongholds. We're going to begin with establishing strongholds. So you need to understand what we're doing. Yeah. Now, these are our values that we have. I mean, we've lifted this on our site. But these are our values. And in the days ahead, we're going to be needing or making sure that we inculcate this value. So everyone in this house knows the values of this house. Value number one is God is first. And God is always good. God is first and God is always good. That's value number one. Okay? The Lord is our priority. And our view of God is that he's a good God. And that's accurate. Right? You have not understood a scripture until you've seen the goodness of God in it. That's our value as a community. You know, uh, it's amazing how you can look at things from the wrong perspective based on your heart. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, when, when in, in Genesis chapter 3, when um, the Bible says that, um, you know, the, after they had eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you know, the Lord, you know, um, the Lord essentially, well, our, our view is, the Lord sent them out of the garden and he, he had cherubim at the gate protecting the way to the tree of life. All right? And when we read that, we see, you see, they had sinned, so God kicked them out. Do you understand? But this value prevents you from looking at it that way. Because God is always good. So we've got, to, we've got to dig into it until we see the goodness of God. The Bible says that the cherubim were there to protect the way to the tree of life. Because if they had eaten the tree of life in that state, if they had eaten of the tree of life in that state, they'll be condemned forever. So the Lord had to protect the tree of life from the, for, from, or for them, uh, from them, um, until they were in the right state to eat of it. And that tree of life is, is our destiny to eat of, is it not? 
So it was actually a manifestation of God's goodness. Yeah? So we'll keep looking until we see the goodness of God. That's number one. Our value is that we're not from here. This community, our value is that we're not from here. Okay? Our value is that we're not from here. We're surgeoners. Yeah? We're surgeoners. We're not from here. Number three, without his presence, we're nothing. Without his presence, we're nothing. I know the presence of God is not just so that I can feel great. Yeah? The presence of God leads us into his wisdom, his understanding. There's substance. And that's why we spend time worshiping him and being in his presence and drawing from his presence. That's where our deliverance is. That's where our joy is. Without his presence, we're nothing. Our priority is to seek his presence in a real way. Number four, meditation is the key to transformation into his image in every aspect of life. Yeah? You are not going to be like the Lord until you meditate in the word. And therefore, we don't condemn people. All right? Because we know that transformation is not is the result of meditation, not anything else. Yeah, we need, to sh- we need to show people how to behold the Lord. Our deliverance is by beholding Him. I'll say that again. Our deliverance comes from beholding Him. Okay? And we need, to, we need to, to teach people how to behold Him. You cannot solve your problem. Let me say that again. You cannot what? You cannot solve your problem. I cannot solve your problem. Yeah? We need to learn how to behold his face. Jesus is our deliverer. He's our helper. Yeah. Becoming, I cannot become what he desires me to be without him. Yeah. I have no power within myself. Meditation is the key to transformation. We are here to shift culture. Not to have good events and experiences. It's not about having a good time. I'm, I'm not, I don't disagree with good times, but that's not why we're here. If we haven't shifted something in the marketplace, if we have not shifted something in culture, we have not achieved what we're here for. We're not about just having good events. If we have not shifted culture, if we are not building a people that can shift culture, if we don't have a priority to shift things in the marketplace. I told you about the vision I had. You know, the Lord doesn't give visions because he's trying to show you you are spiritual. No, I'm telling you. The Lord is not, oh, I am a real, I've really, you know. So, you know, the Lord interrupts your normal operation to open you up into a new sphere, to help you in his grace, to see what he's about. Do you understand? And I was saying to the team yesterday that, You know, the best I can do with a vision is to communicate to you that this is what I saw. But for me, I had an experience. I can't communicate an experience. I can just tell you an experience. It's a little bit like, you know, trying to to draw um, a horse when when someone has never seen a horse. Do you understand? You can show them the form of it. But the person that has ridden a horse, there is a lot he can't communicate to you about a horse. I had a vision where... This pulpit was in the back of a hillox. Yeah? And they just carried us in this hillox to the top of the bridge. And they, they offloaded us there. Yeah? And I was holding this pulpit. They offloaded us in the back of the hillocks on the, on, on the bridge. I don't know which bridge it was. There were cars moving all over the place. The, uh, we had PA system. So the pulpit was now outside in the open. You know, we don't normally have pulpits, pulpits in the open. Where do we have pulpits? In church. Out in the open on the bridge. And they were trying to figure out, okay, there were cars moving. It wasn't on the side of the road. It was in the middle of the road. So as cars were coming, we'll carry the pulpit off. They'll go past. We'll put it back on. And then we'll be arranging the... Arranging the it was very uncomfortable. We're not used to it. I did not choose to be offloaded in the middle of the road. It's like, this is what I'm doing to you now. Bam. We're here to shift culture. Your identity cannot be based on the four walls of a building. That's not our job. At best, we're here to, get, we're here to gather strength so that we can go and do what we're really meant to do. We are going to build a people that understand that as a value. 
You understand? Yes, I like you to come to church, but a lot of times you might not be able to come because you are doing what you need to be doing. Do you understand? It has to be a place where you are fueled with what we are actually called to do. We're here to shift culture. We're here to shift the way they do business. We're here to shift the educational policies. We're here to be activists. We're here to, we're here to shift what is happening in culture. That's what we're here to do. And, and as a people, we want to, you, we, this community needs to equip you to do that. We're here to shift culture. Not just to have good experiences. Not that we don't want good experiences. But that's not what it's about. Like, oh, the Lord was with us today. Oh, how did I know? I, you know, I just felt him. Great. What did you learn? How did your experience with God give you equipment to shift culture? If that equipment, if that equipment hasn't been given, you haven't had a good experience, a real experience that would, it has to shift culture. You have to have equipment to do that. We get to bear fruit forever. So we plant the seed of God. You see, it's important to understand that God works from eternity for eternity. Yeah? You know, we need to build things that are generational. We need to build things that are generational. We need to understand that your life and my life and, our, and God's purpose for us is not limited to our lifetime. There are foundations that we must lay for another generation. <laughs> you understand? So when we're saying, oh, I don't know about you, you know, but when I turned 30, I was thinking, man, at this stage of my life, I need to be doing certain things. I mean, by now, I should have done this, done that, done the other. I'm running out of time. I need to, you know, do this. I need to do that. And I, and I think it's good to be motivated. But not to the extent where you miss out on the fact that you actually get to bear fruit forever. You know, everybody in Hebrews 11 died without seeing the promise. I'll say that again. Everybody. Everybody in Hebrews 11 died without what? They all died by faith. Everybody in Hebrews 11 died without seeing the promise. Why are you any different? I need to understand why you think you're different. That why you think that when you are walking with God, you must definitely see everything that you have been envisioned, um, you have received vision for. The vision of your life must transcend the time of your, uh, of your existence on earth. Do you understand? The vision of Abraham's life is still being fulfilled now. Honestly. So why do you think you're any different? I, what? That makes us eternal. Do you understand? So if we're here to, if we're going to bear fruit forever, then our focus will be the quality of the seed. I'm telling you, if we're going to bear fruit forever, then we need to plant the right seed. Because if we plant the right seed, then we'll have an eternal harvest. If because of, oh, we have to have fruit, we have to have fruit, we have to have fruit. Quick, quick, quick. And we plant the wrong seed. Do you understand? You, I mean, first of all, you don't have the harvest of the kingdom. You'll have a harvest that will be burnt up. Yeah? And secondly, I mean, well, that's really the main thing. You have a harvest that is, you might have some that you, you celebrate, but... When you get to heaven, the whole thing will be burnt up. And you will not have any fruit after your life. There are so many things that are built on earth that heaven does not even see. Seriously. So we are here to bear fruit forever. So we plant the seed of God. These are our values. You see, this is how we are operating. And then number one, we are here to what? We are building a culture of what? We are building a culture of what? We are building a culture of what? You know, when people say this, you know, a lot of times, people have this rosy picture of things. If you are building a culture of family, family is the messiest thing you can be involved in. 
Family? Family is messy. Family is messy. Family is messy. You understand? If you say you're building a culture, you see, family is a covering. All right? Family is a place that, you know what, we can expose our reality to one another and we can be covered. That's what family is. Do you understand? There are sons that steal. There are daughters that, you know, do all kinds of stuff. There are fathers and mothers that, family is messy. Family is messy. So if we are building a culture of family, we, we need to understand that it's, it, it provides a protection. You see, the reason why people do not submit to community is because they don't have that covering. It's not a place of safety. Do you, do you get what I mean? It's not a place of safety. They don't feel safe there. Okay? They don't want to expose their, their weaknesses and their challenges because they feel that they will be judged and condemned. That's not a culture of family. Family is a place you run to. You know, family is a place you run to. There's something I read from uh, Sean Boltz about the difference between, um, how do they put it? The difference between a servant and a son or something is that a servant says, um, men have messed up. I can't let my dad know about this. And the son says, but the son is, men have messed up. I better go and tell my dad. This is the difference. That's the difference between family and something else. Men have messed up. Let me run to my family. <laughs> you understand? It's a protection. It's a covering. These are our values as a community. So we want to be intentional. And I'm bringing this to a close. We want to be intentional about building a community. You know, there are several things that we have done that I'd like to invite you to participate in. Because I believe that as a, if we're going to be a community, there are things that you should be able to expect from a community. And there are things that um, you should know that the community expects from you. Okay? So, we have set up a group um, called High Life Family, um, which is on Telegram. Um, it's on Telegram. And, um, you know, please download Telegram. Uh, and the reason why we use Telegram is because, um, you know, you know how it is on WhatsApp. If you have a group, you know, once you join, when you join the group, you can't see anything that has happened beforehand, right? Um, but Telegram, you can, okay? So that way, you can see what's going on. And Telegram has quite a, a large number of people that can join any group. So we formed a group called highlife.family. Um, so please join that group so that you can, you, you know, because it's, it's our way of seeing that you're opting into this. And then secondly, on that, um, on that group... I'm going to post a form there today. Because if we're going to be a community, we need to know about you and you need to know about us. You know, because I, we're, you know, as a leadership team, we're beginning to sit down and think, okay, what are the things that are needed? How can we serve and help our community? People that have identified with this house, how do we serve them? How can we be more effective in serving them? Of course, there's discipleship and all these wonderful things, but there are also practical things that are going on. And as a community, how can we serve one another? All right? And one of the first ways is by knowing what is going on in your life. So there's a form that I would like you to fill. There's a form that I would like you to fill. You know, um, you know, I think it was two years ago, you know, Olumide had this, and I'm really bringing this to a close. Olumide had this vision about um, food security and, and scarcity of food. And, and, um, and we put together... You know, and we had access to different suppliers across the country, and we were able to go and bring, bring food in. Um, and people in our community benefited from it. Um, we want to do more things like that, yeah, for our community. Um, we have somebody here who uh, is part of um, a company that, that offers group insurance, and they, they are willing to offer group insurance for communities. We want to participate in things like that. What are the things that our community needs in terms of benevolence, in terms of help, uh, in terms of, of training? How can we serve the community? So, um, you know, even in terms of children's ministry right now, you know, what is needed in children's ministry is very different from what we had when I was growing up. 
You know, when I was growing up, um, being taught Bible stories was pretty good. Yeah, but now we're we're experiencing very different things. Our children are all over the world. I mean, I've you know four kids that are in different countries. There, there are you know uh, a lot of our kids are you know even if they're in our country, they're in another state. Um, you know, th- we need a system that can disciple our young ones, even though they are distributed. Yeah, we, there's so much that we need to, to work together as one to do. People are moving up and down in terms of their jobs. We, we need to have a system that pulls everyone together where we can be effective in discipling, in growing, etc. So please, on that group, there is going to be a form. And that form is, uh, helps us uh, you know, to capture information about you that is critical for us to design things that we can serve you with. Okay. I've covered a lot of ground, but I wonder if it's come through. Um, does anyone have any questions? Anyone have any? Uh, because what I really wanted to do today was, was help us to understand that there is a wall that is broken and fragmented. There is a gate that has been destroyed. And the Lord wants us to, to rebuild the walls and, and, and create a definition that where there's defense, where there's protection. Um, you know, because before we can take the city, we must build a stronghold. Uh, we must build a community where we know each other and trust each other. You know, I've been seeing this guy's name, uh, is Israel, right? And I'm like, who, I wonder who Israel is, who Israel is, you know? And today, for the first time, I actually just met him. I was like, oh, you are the Israel, you know? And it's amazing. I mean, we, we, we need to do better. We, we need to know each other. You know, the reason why we have house churches, and I know, you know, the Lord really led us to do it. And I know that it's uncomfortable for a lot of people, and I get it. But, but one of the primary reasons, it wasn't because of COVID that we had house churches. One of the, the primary reasons was to bring us to a place where we can have greater community amongst each other, where we can know each other better, um, where there can be true discipleship. You know, it was when we started house church that I realized that 80% of what I'm teaching in church, people don't get it. Do you understand? I'm, and I'm a pretty good teacher. <laughs> Do you understand? Because you, we, no, no, but no, it's not even a condemnation. But it's like when you sit and, and you like, okay, you share maybe our 10 minutes and then you say, okay, so what do you, you know, do you have any questions? And questions come out and you realize that, okay, yeah, no, that was not what I meant. And it gives us the opportunity, no, seriously, it gives us the opportunity to clarify so people leave that experience better for it. Do you understand? I mean, I can have a, a nice pulpit and I'm teaching with passion, but if you don't get it, what's the point of all this? What's the point of all this, right? So house churches is not, was not a tactical strategy, like, oh, we're just doing it because... No, it is, it, is, it is to bring us into a place of greater impact in one another's lives, Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we're going to continue to do that. But, but these times of gathering, these times of gathering together is, um, is also very important. So, um, so yes, any, any questions? Yes. It's so urgent, particularly in our nation, because we're very fragmented. We're very um, self-dependent. You know, we don't come together at all. And I think, you know, when we were praying yesterday, looking at 2023 elections, and we were saying to ourselves, the same thing is going to happen, because we haven't changed anything. And I think, just like you said, you just took the words out of my mouth. A lot of people don't understand. In fact, in the, in the house church, we have also discovered that. Because some questions will come out and you're like, oh, really? You know, so in breaking it down, in coming as a community and getting the same values, you are building a blueprint and a template, at least if we look at Nigeria, that this is the way to unite together as a people. Coming down to family, starting with the family, this is the way, this is a family. A family of believers, we come together. You can template that for your family as well. 
Because whatever you do together, like in Acts, you are loving each other, you are serving each other, you are doing stuff together. So when we are able to template that, and you are in the marketplace, and you are a business place, people see you as different. That, oh, you're showing so much love. Um, Daniel has been taking us through Sonship series every Tuesday for the last one year. And just the last two weeks, we're just talking about the love of God. How do you show the love of God? And it was a revelation. All of those things, I've been in church for 30 years. I'm just learning and breaking it down. I, don't, I didn't get it. But now we're getting it. So we need to template what Christ meant as unity and that unifying um, force that was an axe that took on a, a, a city mm. that was able to turn things around. Because if we don't get it ourselves, if we don't have the values, Nigeria has dropped in values since when we were growing up. And they don't know what it is to have integrity anymore. When you talk to young people, young people have not seen what we saw. Some of them have not seen light for 24 hours. So they're like, what, what are you talking about? So if we're able to template it in a small community, like you said, David now started, you know. So you now take it to your office. You take it to your family. You go and show the same values. And people see you changing. And they see you being selfless. And they see you being wanted to give to others. Then things start to transform in our nation. And I think the transformation has to start from us first. We have to show that this is what Nigeria should be. Because we cannot criticize a government that doesn't know what it's doing. We are the ecclesia. We are the government, you know. But we need to get it right, first of all, in-house. Then we can now go to government. And that's when God will release us to government. And when you get to government, you become compassionate. Mm -hmm. When you get to government, you are loving. Mm -hmm. When you look at the policies, you look at policies from a heart of compassion. So you just don't do things because, you know, you want to do it. So I think it's uh, so important mm -hmm. that if we start... And Kevadulam is an excellent example. They were distressed, but by the time they came out, they were like nobles. That's right. Because they had come together, they had formed a yeah. union, they loved each other, they served each other, and they were able to serve others. So I think mm -hmm. um, it's a really good thing to happen. Okay, thank you. Any other questions? So like I said, um, we have a group on, um, on Telegram called highlife.family. Um, uh, we're going to put a form on there that enables us to capture more about you. And then also, um, you know, like I said, I had a brainstorming session last yesterday, and we're looking at community. What can our community expect from us? What can we expect from our community? We're going to post that on the Telegram group as well, so you get greater clarity. Uh, I, I'd like us to meet here again um, next Sunday, um, <clears throat> you know, just to, to expand on this a little bit before we go back to our house churches. Uh, so please, um, if you could just register Let's know. I mean, I don't know. How, how, how's it working out with the kids today? Is it okay? Yeah? Have they been fed? Yes? Okay. Um, so I'd like us to meet again here next Sunday. Um, um, and we'll post the information um, on the group just to let everyone, just to confirm um, that we're, we're going to do that. Um, I mean, we are going to meet, but I want to make sure the hall is available, <clears throat> you know, because I, haven't, I hadn't told them that uh, before now.